As you know, we're in the book of Proverbs in our Wednesday night study. We'll be getting back into that. But just for tonight, this will be more of a topical. Ecclesiastes 11, I'm just going to read verses 1 and 2 to start with. If your Bibles are there, let's go ahead and read together. Starting in verse 1, Solomon's the author, and this is what he writes. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we just bow before you now, and we just, as we open your word, we pray, uh, Lord, that you just bless this time, that uh, you would speak to us by your word, you'd minister to each and every person in the way that uh, you see fit. Lord, we pray that uh, we'd be strengthened by your word, drawn nearer to you. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that you've given us everything that pertains to life and godliness, and we ask, Lord, that uh, you would just teach us, you'd make us softer to your will, and Lord, that uh, you'd knit us together for your plans and your purposes. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the kids and and all that that they bring to our life. We just appreciate uh, even the opportunity tonight just to see them sing and and to provide the worship. Uh, We know you said, let the little children come unto me, and so we uh, thank you for each of these things, the kids, the fellowship, and now your word, and, and then uh, the rest of the evening as well. We ask these things, uh, and thank you for them, in Jesus' name, amen. Let me read something to you. You can see the title of uh, what we're going to be looking at tonight is called The Intentional Life, Walking day by day, and just this daily walk that God wants us to really learn to have this intentionality in our Christian walk. And I want to read something to you that maybe helps uh, illustrate this, what it means to be intentional in what you're doing and follow the Lord in each and every way. It's called uh, The Future, is the name of the story. It says, an elderly carpenter was ready to retire And he told his employer contractor of his plans to leave the house building business and he was going to live a more leisurely life with his wife, enjoying his extended family. He said he'd missed the paycheck uh, but needed to retire and they could get by. The contractor was sorry to see his good worker go and asked if he could build just one more house as a personal favor. The carpenter said yes, but in time it was easy to see that his heart was not in the work. He resorted to shoddy workmanship and used inferior materials, it was an unfortunate way to see his career come to an end. When the carpenter finished his work and his employer came to inspect the house, the contractor handed the front door keys to the carpenter and said, this is your house. It's my free gift to you. What a shock and what a shame. If he'd only known that he was building his own house, he would have done it all so differently. Now he had to live in the home that he had built none too well. And so it is with us. We build our lives in a distracted way, reacting rather than acting, willing to put up with less than our best. At important points, we do not give the job our best effort. Then with a shock, we look at the situation we have created and find that we are now living in the house that we have built. If we had realized that that would have been done, we would have done things differently. Think of yourself as the carpenter. Think about the house. Each day you hammer a nail, place a board, or erect a wall. Build wisely. It is the only life you will ever build. If you live it for even only one day more, 
that day deserves to be lived graciously and with dignity. Your life tomorrow will be the result of your attitudes and the choices you make today. Jesus, Jesus wants us to be, Jesus wants us to finish well. He wants us to be choosing wisely day in and day out. He wants us to choose to walk well. The Bible says, choose you this day. The steps we take day by day will have a tremendous impact on things that are somewhere down the road. Our daily steps, our commitment, our character will determine how we handle success, how we handle failure, and failure is inevitable, isn't it? How we handle adversity, things that were not expected. Just like the carpenter, we can't control how life goes, but we can choose to do things the right way and do them God's way. We all agree with that? We can't control how life goes, but we can control to do things the Lord's way. And his blessing will follow if we intentionally choose to daily invest in a life that pleases God. But this won't just happen. It doesn't just happen on its own. We have to take God's counsel and we have to follow it. We want to look at a few verses here from Solomon on what this intentional life looks like. How do we walk forward day by day? I have this picture. The kids can take a look at this one too. You guys all know what that is? It's a piece of rope. There's another verse in Ecclesiastes that says, uh, right here in Ecclesiastes 4.12, a threefold cord is not easily broken. In other words, each cord makes the other cord that much stronger. So one cord by itself, you could probably take a cheap pair of scissors and get through it. But if you wrap three cords together, it's going to be a lot harder to cut through that rope with a cheap pair of scissors. It becomes a lot stronger. And so if this... And these three ropes and the verses that we'll look at here in verses 1 through 8, um, we'll look at giving, sowing, and trusting. All three can be found here in this passage that Solomon writes. And each of them are kind of codependent on each other because they're not in a vacuum. Each one is related to the other. In other words, in the Christian life, we would be doing all three of these things Perpetually, constantly having a giving heart, constantly sowing things that are, you know, the Bible says you sow what you reap, constantly sowing things that are into the kingdom of God, sowing things that are the will of God, and then trusting God for the results of those things. And when we do these things consistently, uh, it has to be consistent. And the more we do them, uh, when I start, you guys know, I start. I started running again. It's been seven years. I started running again uh, four months ago. And first I could do only a half mile. Then I could do a mile. Then I could do a mile and a half. Then I could do two miles. Then I could do a two and a half mile. And now I do three miles. I could do more, but I don't have time. And God says, all right, that's enough. Because I want you to now devote this to over, you know. So, but the consistency of it all in our life, you know, all of a sudden, your heart gets stronger, your mind gets more focused, and these things, whatever it is, the physical things also have uh, parallels uh, to the spiritual life. 
And what we want to uh, look at here in these three things is how do these giving, sowing, and trusting, how, how do they relate to each other? And what is it that Solomon is uh, explaining to us here that we can start to just inspect in our own life and then invest in our own life? This first one, in verse 1, if you're taking notes at all under giving, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a serving to seven, also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. Now you first read that and say, what what is that second verse all about? Give a serving to seven, give a serving to eight. We'll get to that in just a second. But in verse 1, it's really inclusive... uh, Verse 1 is really inclusive of all three terms, giving, sowing, and trusting. We'll come back to it two more times, but look at it from the, we want to first look at it from the perspective of giving. So verse 1, we just want to cast your bread upon the waters, and after many days you'll find it. What this is saying is uh, giving is at the heart, in verses 1 and 2 here, giving is at the heart of generosity. It's that commitment in life of being a giver rather than a taker. And this would be following the steps of who? Jesus. He was the ultimate giver of himself to others. So uh, the more we say, I'm going to be someone who gives, who pours out. Paul said his life was poured out like a drink offering, all of his life. And he was following the Lord that way. So the Lord wants us uh, to be givers in our heart. And the first point here is that God's heart is for us to give. This involves our time. This involves our talents. Whatever talent, everybody has some. Some are spiritual gifts. Some are more actually actual talents. And of course, our treasures. That which God has given to us. All of these things, of course, belong to God anyway. Number two on this point is Giving is simply distributing what God has given to us. God gives us abilities. He wants us to distribute and use them. Uh, I mentioned on Sunday how amazed I am that some of you are so good with toddlers. And you use those gifts. And many of you didn't start out good at it. You invested and learned those abilities, and now you use them well. But there's so many other things. We look in this body, and I, we have so many people that are gifted at different things that I'm not gifted at, and whether it's AV equipment or whether it is um, uh, worship or you know, whether it's uh, working with um, you know, certain, um, certain aspects of, you know, we've got a Michael Birch who does accounting, all these different things. And so we've got people that have these gifts and talents using them for the Lord. We're just stewards of God's plan collectively. We also see here the choices that we make come back to us. He says, give a servant a seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. He says, cast your bread on the waters, for it will come back to you after many days. These choices will come back to us. If we think only of ourselves, it's not only the opposite of God's heart, but when we really need the help from others, it may not be there. That's kind of what he's getting at in verse 2 when he says, Give a serving of seven to eight, uh, serving of seven to eight, you do not know what evil will take place in the earth. You don't know when you'll need other people's help. And you had been the person that was there for others, they'll be there for you. This is a proverb or a principle. It's not a 100% guarantee, but it's one of these things in life that if you are pouring out and people 
have been blessed by you, more than likely uh, you'll have people there for you. You know the, the old saying, you know, who will show up at your funeral, right? Someone that uh, was never uh, giving or helping is not going to have the same level of response at that time. Kids, God makes this principle really clear with the fourth commandment. The Bible says to honor your father and mother that your days will be long upon the earth. This takes time, this takes effort, this takes sacrifice. I love when kids, um, I see young people, let's say bake a cake for mom, or cut the grass without being told, or uh, do things for their parents. I've seen my, my kids, I've seen other kids pool their money to get their parents uh, a birthday gift on, with their own money. In our house, that's happened, and it, you know, we don't care about the size of the gift, and I know that no other parents do. But when you see that, you see that uh, they're following God's plan to honor their parents. And that plan comes with a promise that your days will be what? Long upon the earth. It's a good thing. We know that God will keep his promises. Now, you also have to obey God. You can't say, well, I did lots of good stuff for mom and dad, but I didn't obey God in any other area. It all works together. It's the same as the principles of threefold cord. But we want to learn to give because your parents have given a lot of things to you guys. Wouldn't you agree? And you have a desire to reciprocate, to give back. I have no doubt that the more generous we are as a church, you know, we're going to give all these school supplies away. And the only reason we give school supplies away is you guys have given and we're able to give them. But the more generous we are as a church, the more God will entrust us with more to bless even more people. He whose faith was little will be given much and be faithful with much. The giving will come back to us either by God directly through others, or both. And number three, we see, uh, if you're taking notes, giving will come full circle, even if it's eternity. If we give, it will come back, but it may take some time. It may be some of these things are uh, not until we get to heaven. In Proverbs 11.25, says, The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. That verse, it says the generous soul will be made rich. It doesn't say the generous person. This is at the soul level. Think about, um, last week when I was at VBS, when I was watching the kids, as an adult, when you watch kids that truly are not worried about tomorrow's job, they're not worried about the bills, they couldn't care less who's running for president, they don't know about any of this stuff, they're just happy they got a lollipop. And you watch that. I'm 47 now, and I watch that. And I'm like, they truly have a joy and a peace that money can't buy. I mean, you see celebrities dying year after year of drug overdoses that have yachts and have stuff and have shrinks and have you know, Betty Ford Clinic helping them out and all this stuff. And you think, they have it all. Everything that, you know, they're on the cover of magazines and all these things, and yet they can't sleep, you know, and they, they're taking sleep medications and they're taking antidepressants and panic dr- drugs and all these different things. And then you watch a child and Jesus is like, I know what I'm talking about. 
You watch a child sit up here who's singing, and they, uh, they were kind of funny tonight, right? Yeah. When you wrestle each other and all the other stuff. But not a care in the world. And in a sense, in a sense, the generous soul, when, when it says the generous soul will be made rich, it doesn't, we immediately think that means, people think, well, if I become a giver, God will pad my bank account. Not necessarily. But he might help you start to sleep like a baby again. And he might start giving you joy that you're not experiencing. And peace that you, you know, people, would they give up all the things they're striving for if they had genuine peace, genuine joy, and genuine happiness? That's the soul level. He says the generous soul will be made rich. The soul level doesn't say, you know, that we're going to all of a sudden be able to buy anything we want because that doesn't bring peace anyway. But if we give, God says, I'll give you things that are pressed down, shaken together without measure. They're more spiritual in nature. Though they can be, they can be beyond that. I I always pray that God blesses, as we are givers, that God blesses you guys in every which way that he can because that you would give it back out. But I know that it would be pointless to be blessed materially but not have peace, not have joy. What's the point? That's why people have you know, sat there and, sit and contemplated just ending their own life because they have it all and it still seems so pointless. I'll never forget hearing about Ted Turner when he you know, talked about it. He said how lonely at the top it is. And when you get all the things you could possibly own, it feels so empty. And certainly that's not the richness that God's talking about. But if we are givers and we give to people, giving a serving to seven, giving a serving to eight, uh, we love people genuinely, God says, I'll reward you in various ways. It will come back to you. Give it time. The next thing, look at verses 3 through 6. Interesting verses here. He says, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. If a tree falls to the south of the north, and the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. And you do not know what is the way of the wind, or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, in the evening do not withhold your hand. We'll stop in the middle of verse 6. Someone already had it up here for me. Sowing here. A quick look back at verse 1 again. We looked at verse 1 from the perspective of giving, but this term, uh, cast your bread upon the waters, is also representative of a sower planting seeds on a watered field. Uh, Rice farmers uh, could really relate to this in wet and marshy fields. Um, First thing, if you're taking notes here, sowing takes action and effort. It says, cast your bread upon the waters. You'll have to cast your own bread. You'll have to cast your own seed. Each one of us have our, has our own work to sow. You know, you have to sow into your family. I have to sow into my family. Now, as a pastor, I sow into a lot of families, but I have to sow differently directly into my own family. But beyond that, each of us have our own work to sow into. And sowing sometimes requires waiting. It says, cast your bread upon the waters, and you'll find after 
many days. Sometimes it takes a long time. We don't like waiting, do we? Does anyone here enjoy waiting? I'll do anything to avoid a line. And, I, you know, I'm long past the days of, I, I remember early in my life, we, would, we didn't have kids, and we would, how long is the wait at the restaurant? An hour and ten minutes? Okay, we'll wait. That just doesn't happen anymore. You know, the, an hour and a ten-minute wait, uh, I'd rather go eat fast food uh, before we're waiting that long. We don't like to wait. We want instant results. But the things that God does, sometimes they take many days. Seeds that are sown take a long time uh, to come to fruition. Taking notes, the second point uh, under sowing here, sowing takes patience after many days. Back to verse 1, but then the verses that I just read, verses 3 through 6, look at verses 3 through 4. He says, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. A tree falls to the south or the north. In that place it will it, it falls, that there will lie. Solomon, what's, what are you talking about? We know that wherever a tree falls, that's where it lands. We know that clouds are full of rain. What's Solomon saying here? He's saying that God created and controls the whole world. Even, even God control which way a tree lands, whether it falls this way or this way. He's saying that these things, we have no idea. Uh, that's why some people have gotten seriously hurt taking down a tree that didn't know how to take down a tree. It's fallen back the other direction. But the, uh, what, what he's saying here is that God is in control over all the things that we see around us. He's in control of this created world. But we're told that uh, in the entire world, we're to, we're to go and plant the seeds of the gospel. Oh, I wanted to show the kids one thing here real quick. forgot to show them that. I talked about sowing. Not only does it take patience, not only do you have to do our own sowing, but sowing isn't easy. It takes work. But it's worth the work, isn't it? The Bible says, where there are no oxen are, the trough is clean, but with... Uh, but much increase comes through the strength of an ox. These are two oxen. That actually is a rice, rice farm. You can see the wet, marshy conditions. Um, the oxen don't seem to mind that. They'll plow right through it. But they're dirty. They don't really smell great. See, these things take effort. Sowing takes effort. Takes patience. You know, you think that you think you'd have uh, rice to cook later that night after you drop the seeds in there? No. It's going to take some time before that comes up. In much of the world, uh, it's really tough because they also, speaking uh, again of kind of the unknown conditions, uh, where rice paddies are, there's a lot of cobras, a lot of snakes. It's dangerous. But God is in control of all these things. That's what he's saying here in verses 3 and 4. Um, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. People that look at every little detail. Take a look at this picture. This is a farm. See the storm clouds on the horizon? Not only does sowing take patience, but it takes commitment. We have to commit to go into all the world and plant the seeds of the gospel. We have to take commitment to open our Bibles. We have to take commitment to pray. 
Someone else can't do it for us. We have to make that commitment. We have to do these things. But taking steps of faith, if we look at the risks and the what-ifs, we may never, ever move. That's what Solomon is saying here. He's saying, he who observes the wind will not sow. He says, well, I can't sow. The wind's just going to drive it all away. There's too many clouds. It's probably going to rain and just wash it all away. The only time I've had to make these decisions is when I'm going to put the scots down to make the grass extra green. I don't, I don't farm, but uh, you know, I've got to, it says has to be between 70 degrees and 90 degrees. You have to have the grass cut at a certain amount. You can do all those things, and then eventually you still have to put it down and say, all right, if it rains, it rains. And amazingly enough, usually when you just do the things, you, you do your best, you do your best to do as you're supposed to. Farmers, they do their best to plant, but ultimately they can't control if a lightning bolt sets the entire field on fire. They cannot control if there's bigger storms than normal. All these things, you still have to move forward eventually. Our sowing means we have to ignore many things. We have to reject our fears. We have to reject our doubts. And we have to reject our lazy disposition on things. We say, I really don't feel like doing that right now. Maybe there'll be a better time. And sometimes there's never a better time. It just has to be done. Sowing takes commitment. He goes on to say, um, we do not know what is the way of the wind. We don't know how bones grow in the womb of her who's with child. We know some of those things today, but there's still things science doesn't understand about uh, the whole forming of a child inside the mother's womb. So you do not know the works of God who makes everything. God says his ways are not our ways. Man, uh, there's many things that man can't figure out, that we can't figure out. Our job is not to figure everything out. Our job is to simply go forward and to trust God. Still remain giving. And still remain generous. He says, in the morning sow your seed, and the evening do not withhold your hand. I go back to the threefold cord. These verses are intertwined. The generous generosity shows up here that even as you're in faith planting and sowing, you still remain generous. Well, because a lot of people, they, they can't remain generous while they're sowing because they say, well, if I work really hard, I can't help this person because if, what if we need it in a pinch? And God says, no, part of your protection is you're trusting and you're doing what I've asked you to do. You're working, you're making those investments of your time, of your talent, of your treasure. You're making those investments of just kind of going through your fears and ignoring them and saying, I'm going to go forward anyway. Taking on, you know, some of you say, I wonder if I could do this ministry area. I wonder if God will help me. Of course he will. You'll skin your knees. Things won't go perfect. Sometimes the tree will fall one way. Sometimes the tree will fall another way. But ultimately, God gets us through those things. You study, we're in the life of the Apostle Paul. He would always be set, he'd always set his course, but things didn't go perfect. But yet he would get to Rome. Yet he would get to Jerusalem. Yet he would get to wherever he was going. Our job is to go. But all the while, Paul was generous everywhere he went, wasn't he? Even if he didn't have much. I've met some of the most generous people are people that are hardworking, full of faith, and even if they don't have a lot themselves, they're just tremendous givers. We were so blown away. I know we were down in Guatemala 
uh, we, we would go into these homes, and I, it was some of your testimonies, but we go into these, some of these homes, and these people have a fraction of what we have, and yet they would still want to offer us a beverage or uh, just something just to show hospitality. And that was meaningful for them because that was something that would, you know, represented a bigger percentage of what their paycheck was than what we would have. I mean, the average income there was something like, uh, uh, it was like 400 a month. And that was, that was uh, you know, taking everyone into account in that community. Um, most of the people we met were far below that, but still had a giving heart. And God wants us to have this sowing mentality, but also not forget to still be generous in the midst of all these things. Finishing up these verses in the middle of verse 6 and, and then 7 and 8, he says, For you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Middle of verse 6. Verse 7 and 8. He says, Truly the light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many all that is coming is vanity. Now Solomon was an observer of things. So- Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. Think of the most intelligent person. Think of Bill Gates. Think of Steve Jobs. Think of Benjamin Franklin. Think of Shakespeare. Think of C.S. Lewis. All of these people are highly intellectual. Solomon was smarter than them all. People, kings from all the world... Uh, would travel just to hear him expound on anything. Give him a topic, he could go deep and wide. But he studied people and he watched people and he was always pondering things. He was wondering how God worked in the lives of people. And one thing that he, that he came to notice was if he looked at the aggregate of people's lives, what he realized was, this isn't earth-shattering new, but, but it didn't escape him. He realized that people have a lot of good times, but more bad times than they realize. And he says, Truly the light is sweet, is pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun, but if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Now that thought should make you never get out of your bed in one sense, right? If you just took but he's what he's saying here goes back to Last point I want to make, which is trusting. The Bible says the just will live by faith. Um, it all comes down to trusting God with our entire lives. We have to trust Him in the giving. We have to trust Him in the sowing. We have to trust Him in everything else. We trust Him in the good and sunny days. Those are pretty easy, right? The good sunny days. And we know, we know that he's given us many of those. But he's also told us that there will be hard days. Jesus said, in this life you will have tribulation. But fear not, I've overcome the world. Jesus did not tell the disciples, hey, listen up, guys. It's going to be super smooth sailing every day of your life. He didn't say that. He said, in this life you'll have tribulation. The Bible says, all who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. But we need to plan ahead of time to put our trust in him and to be really thankful and appreciative for the sunny days, but not forget he already told us he'll get us through the darker days too. Make sense? And the threefold cord, going back to the, how these all weave together, 
we have to kind of live all three of these at the same time. We have to be generous. God, you gave your blood. How do we give our lives for other people? How do we give out? Now, we, had, we also need God to pour back into us. He gives you the right balance. Some of this, some of this in this last passage, truly the light is sweet. There's times where you need to just take in and rest and enjoy just a time of being poured back into. I think it was Susanna Wesley said that the home is not for, uh, I'm going to paraphrase, the home is not for just kind of staying in, but it's for setting out from, to go. In other words, the home is a place to get refreshed, to go back out to the work of God. And that's, and we, when we talk about that in our own family, that there's nights where we just kind of, we turn everything off and we just, it's just family and we just are kind of resting and, and having God pour into us. So we're ready to go back out and so and back out and be generous to the world and then trust God for the results. But we also understand that there's also times that, hey, we don't know what tomorrow holds. You know, this time last year, I don't know, you know, I, I, you know, Ray is here. This time last year, we were just, we were just um, done with, uh, you know, we had had the funeral for Paula just, it had to have been like the first week of August, right? It was like the first week of, yeah, July 24th. So, but that was a time that, you know, was really, really difficult for not only one of our brothers and his family in this in this congregation, and they were no more, you know, I, would, I always thought to myself, why this person and not this person? And Solomon would observe these things and say, hey, there's going to be dark days ahead, but we have to trust God to get through the dark times and be really thankful for the other times. Not only that, the Bible tells us to even start to be able to rejoice even in trials and tribulation. That's a whole other level of maturity and growth. But we need to be grateful for the good and easy days. But what he's saying is, don't always expect them. We have an expectation of Americans. You know, I I watched the funniest little, I'll close with this, I watched the funniest little video, and I showed it to our family about uh, the Olympic Games. And some of you may have seen it on Facebook. Absolutely hilarious. The guy kind of, in a humorous way, breaks down the Olympics, and he starts it off by saying something to the effect like, the Olympics are quite an event. Uh, it's, the whole world gets united together to show which nations are superior and which nations are inferior. <laughs> and, he's, and, and it's totally true, because no one feels better about themselves in the Olympics than the United States. We've won like the medal count, I don't know how many years in a row, and he, he kind of jokes that the, the drama for our basketball team is, will we win by 70, will we win by 50, or will we feel embarrassed that we only won by 30? Uh, it's talking about the U.S. Olympic basketball team. So Americans in general have an expectation, Michael Phelps is our guy. He will win gold. That's just what we do as Americans. We expect gold, we expect gold, we expect gold, we expect gold, we expect another sunny day, we expect the stock market to hit 20,000, we expect every single company that we see come across to dominate planet Earth, we expect everyone on Earth to buy an iPhone, we expect every single thing to be America, 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 America. And then Christians start to think like that, and God says, 
That's not in the Word. That you can't expect all those things. Yes, be thankful for the blessings, but understand that they're not guarantees. Solomon said, you don't know. There could be dark days, there could be sunny days. Be thankful for them both. But what you can expect, going back to verse 1, if you invest and cast your bread upon the waters, which is a step of faith, which is a step of commitment, which is a step of saying, I'm going to be generous, I'm going to trust God, God says, that's the person I'll take care of. Even if we don't win a gold medal, you would still feel the joy of someone who won a gold medal. Does that make sense? And so this is what the Lord is saying through Solomon here. Because Solomon had all the stuff, didn't he? But he realized that none of that stuff ever satisfied, and he's coming to realize that these things, these attitudes of life, these characteristics of a person, these are the things that will be an anchor in the good times and the bad times and will actually allow us to keep walking forward and moving forward in faith. So I hope that this devotional was useful to you and just think, think about it. Read these passages. I, I've been kind of studying this 11th chapter for the last week, just kind of looking it over and if I could land it that kids could, you guys, your kids did pretty good. I, I did a, put a couple of pictures in there for you and uh, I definitely tried to kind of raise it up that <laughs> it wasn't too deep for the kids here, but uh, there's a lot there. There's a lot we can learn about um, having this threefold cord in our life. Let's close in prayer. Father, we just bow before you. We are so appreciative of your counsel. Lord, it's our desire uh, that we would have the faith, that we'd have the generosity, that we'd have the commitment level uh, to do the things that you've asked us to do. Little things, big things, and we know little things have such a big impact in our life. And Lord, just uh, step by step, just continuing to be reminded. Lord, you're in control of all things. And you're in control of the fact that uh, those that follow you and obey you will receive your blessing. Not everything we want, not everything we think we need, but certainly exactly what you have planned and know what is best for us. And Lord, I pray that you just uh, help us to ignore all the things that could cause fear. We could look at the dark clouds all around us and not go forward, but Lord, that we would just by faith continue to move forward, not worried about what could go wrong, but Lord, just trusting you that your plans and your purposes will be accomplished and that you'd use us to be a part of it, that we would be just those faithful stewards of your plans and your purposes. We ask, Lord, that... um, your protection would be upon us. That uh, when we sow, Lord, there would be a great harvest. The sowing that we've been doing the last couple of years, Lord, we pray that you would, uh, you would bless it with a manifold blessing. We pray that this next Wednesday night, even as we uh, sow into the community with a back-to-school night, Lord, uh, that you would take the fishes and loaves of what that night represents, and, Lord, we'd see baskets filled from it. That uh, even in this ministry, you continue to fill gaps and and bring new families, and raise up new servants, and all the things that, Lord, that you have given us to do, Lord, that uh, we would faithfully put the team of oxen together and watch you work. If we are diligent, that, uh, Lord, you'll honor it and bless it. 
And Lord, as we just uh, break now for the fellowship time, we pray that you just, uh, just that the time would be sweet. Thank you again for this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we